0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, August 31st, we are studying Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. As Solomon's father once taught him, now Solomon continues to teach his sons to seek after the only true wisdom, the wisdom that is rooted in the fear of the Lord. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jeremiah Johnson. Pastor Johnson serves at Glory of Christ Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Minnesota. Pastor Johnson, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks, Tim. Really good to be here.
0: So as we get started this morning, we're in the book of Proverbs. The question of context really isn't the same when it comes to wisdom literature. There's not always a clear move from one section to the next, although we don't want to divorce it from the context. But generally speaking, Pastor Johnson, as we think about the book of Proverbs— you say, before we were on the air, you're telling me, there's a, a bit of a problem perhaps here, particularly for Lutherans reading the book of Proverbs. What's that problem? How do we solve it?
1: Right. Um, so in Proverbs 4, we have um, we have this command, this uh, exhortation, hear, O sons, the father's instruction. And so, um, you know, which automatically makes me think of Parents, right? I mean, how do how do children primarily learn? They uh they learn by watching their parents, imitating their parents, listening to their parents. I mean, especially when they say, you know, don't touch that stove, don't touch that stove, don't touch that stove, and then hopefully they aren't going to touch the stove. And so I mean it's very much of a um you know, wisdom is so performative. Mm. And um, uh, you know, that, that creates a little bit of a challenge for us because, um, you know, we spend so much time emphasizing the, uh, well, the non-performative character. and What I mean by that, the, the, the non-performative character of the Bible. Here's what I mean. In other words, uh, Lutherans were, were really good at preaching, I'm saved by grace and not by works, right? Right. Uh, you know, it's all Jesus. He's the one who does it. He's the one who does it on my behalf. He does it for me, um, and uh, and that's and that's how I'm saved. That's how you're saved. Um, and that's absolutely a hundred percent true. But then when it gets to the wisdom literature, um, it it becomes a little bit more challenging because there's a lot of doing. <laughs> there's there's a lot of uh, you know, listen to what what they say and do this. Um, And so, on the one hand, we uh, we should never lose sight of the fact that obviously, you know, we're never going to do this perfectly. I think that's the standard Lutheran qualification, which is not wrong. But at the same time, that doesn't end the conversation. We, uh, whenever we're dealing with proverbs here, you know, this is um, well. To put it in classic Lutheran language, um, this is inevitably first use of the law. Right? It convicts us. It tells us all the things we did bad, um, and that we need to repent of absolutely true but it's also third use of the law as well meaning that this is what wisdom looks like in other words uh guess what folks life works a lot better when we actually do it according to our father capital f uh our father's instruction and uh and so so this is this is kind of the tension and maybe i probably oversold it calling calling it a problem but we need to keep this in mind as we read throughout all this and so on the one hand you know Jesus. You know, no shocker to anybody who's listening to this. Jesus is going to be behind this entire text. Um, you know, Jesus with with his his works, not ours, his mercy, not ours. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that a door is not opened for our works, not to save us, but to uh, to what we might say to act out wisely according to the Lord's own words. So so we got to remember to keep both of those things in mind as we, uh, as we run
0: through all this. You said earlier, Pastor Johnson, that wisdom is performative, and I think that word performative might help us get a grasp of this a little bit better, because at least when I hear that word, I, I'm reminded of being told, and I think teaching before, that the Word of God is performative, that the Word does what He says. When God speaks he actually does something so the word is performative and that's true of for example creation god spoke and creation came into being and it's also true with the way that he deals with us he deals with us according to his performative word so when he speaks to us something happens i was dead and now because he has spoken to me I am alive. And that same performative word, I mean, that's what we're reading here in the book of Proverbs. We are reading God's word, which is performative. And so as we read it, I mean, like like you said, we we do start to do these things. His word does have an effect upon us and upon our lives. And I think maybe that word performative helps us hold some of that tension together.
1: Right. I mean, so the one thing we can't ever do is treat it like it's, okay, stage one is believing in jesus now stage two is get your act together and start acting right you know because i mean it's especially if those stages are understood to be somehow disconnected from each other it's never a stage one and a stage two um what happens is because we have been as you said uh you know killed and made alive because we have actually been uh both redeemed and sanctified in jesus christ this is what we um begin to do but the thing is, is we're never, you know, just like the branches are never disconnected from the tree, or at least they can't keep on making, uh, they can't keep on making leaves, uh, you know, if they're on the ground. Uh, you know, it's the same with us and our Lord. Um, it's not to say that we don't end up being active in doing these things, in in acting out wisdom. Um, but we, we also know where our lifeblood comes from. Uh, we, we know where, you know, where we, how we are enlivened to do these things. Hmm. So, yeah, so hopefully that, hopefully I made that clearer and not less clear. But, no, uh,
0: I, I think that, I think that helped. So let's, let's go ahead, let's go ahead and, and look at this text. There's only nine verses, so I'm going to go ahead and read it all together and we'll take a look at it as as it comes. So Proverbs 4, verses 1 through 9. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. That's Proverbs four, verses one through nine, our text for today. So Pastor Johnson, we start with what's become a familiar phrase in the book of Proverbs. Where Solomon speaks to his son. And this continues to be a feature of the book of Proverbs beyond this text. One thing, though, that does stand out is that this is the first time we've heard Solomon speak to sons, plural, instead of son singular. Now, we've we've talked a little bit about this on Sharp Iron, the importance of this familial language. Here it's a bit different. And so maybe the focus is, is changing or we're getting to see a different facet of some of this familial language. Why is this important? What is Solomon doing here in chapter four?
1: Right. Here's full disclosure. I'm not entirely sure. Good news is, is that <laughs> the good news is that doesn't actually uh, stop us from seeing some of the things that he's doing in some of the directions that it leads us. And so, uh, yeah, this as I was telling you earlier, uh, I think I have more questions about this passage than I do have answers. So hopefully we're just going to we're going to slog through all this together and we'll be uh, hopefully wiser on the uh, the far side of this than when we started. Um, so so what he may be doing here, especially with, um, you know, he's obviously addressing more than one one individual when he says here, O sons. And it's not uncommon, of, of course, for, you know, um you any of his readers or more broadly any of the uh, the people of Israel to be called you know sons in the plural so this could have a much broader kind of collective sense i mean in in some ways this could also be the way that we as readers are being brought into this as well um and so but contrast to that with that he seems to give a little bit of his own kind of personal commentary if you you know, look at verse three, when I was a son with my father, of course, his father is David, you know, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, which is interesting because, uh, you know, he, he's not an only uh, he's not an only child. Uh, but I think it does. It lends a sense of the intimacy that he feels uh, in all this as he's being given wisdom. It, it kind of shows the, um, for lack of a better term, specialness. That, uh that he's receiving from his own father um that uh so that some of this stuff may actually have been what david himself told him i mean in it and frankly in the end you know as as the lord's word it, it doesn't um it still has the same effect but perhaps there's a little bit different insight into it if it's if it's david's words uh you know versus versus solomon's words um but uh but this this kind of a paternal, um, you know, this paternal language. Of course, you know, I I hate to just jump automatically to it, but it, it reminds us, of course, of a uh, of Jesus that, um, you know, his, you know, his own. Um, kind of confession of the father uh, for instance at his baptism when he uh, you know when the father speaks from above and uh, and confesses Jesus to be his own son but also when when Jesus calls him father as well and invites us to do the uh, to do the same there's so many um connection points here that uh you know that, that could be made where the, these become allusions to well maybe I should say it even this way how easily Solomon's words could easily be taken as Jesus's own words. Um, Because, for example, like take verse four, for for instance, this is just what the father has already said. Um, If you remember from uh, Leviticus 18 is is jumping out at me, but I know it says it in other places as well. Um, Leviticus 18 connects the, uh, you know, his commandments and life. So if you just bear a second bear with me a second here yeah you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them he shall live by them i am the lord so as the other the lord is instructing um you know his his own people in that regard notice how similar that is to this passage in proverbs let your heart hold fast to my words get my keep my commandments and live and so here you know life itself comes from holding fast to these words um and, uh, you know, and of course, reminds you of uh, of other statements that uh, that Jesus makes, for example, in, uh, you know, in, in the book of John correlating, you know, the word of God and, uh, you know, in the life that it gives. And so uh, all this kind of, you know, I still haven't quite figured out, like we were talking about before the break, I don't, I haven't written this all out so that i could like write a book on this but they're all kind of swimming in the same pond here and so you can't help but think of christ when you're thinking of 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 uh of david speaking to solomon right because he is of course the son of david and he is of course the one who is greater even than solomon and so if this is the wisdom that uh you know that gives uh gives Solomon life, how much more than when the one who is greater than Solomon, how much will paying attention to his words and taking his words to heart likewise give us life as well.
0: Right. And and I think we were talking about this before we came on air too, that Jesus is David's son and David's Lord. Oh, right. And that, that, I think, comes to bear as well. And I, I think I threw that out there for you, and you were like, oh, like a light bulb went off for you, Pastor Johnson. So, I mean, how how does that apply as well, that Jesus is David's son and David's Lord? And here we're, I mean, as you said, I thought this was great, how easily Solomon's words become Jesus' own words to us. I, think, I Again, we're trying to connect these dots here on air. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Uh, let, let me take a stab at that. So he's he's uh, David's son and David's Lord. Um that manifests itself, um, really well, for example, when, when Jesus asks that question and quotes that Psalm, um, uh, when he confounds the Pharisees, but, but the point, I, I think the, the way this delivers, um, the, um, how do I put this? The, the good news of this proverb, uh, the section of Proverbs to us is this, that, um, You could hear this as Jesus receiving the Father's instruction, but likewise, Jesus essentially taking the role of the Father, giving us then the instruction. It reminds me of so many of those passages, you know, uh, whatever the Father has revealed Mm -hmm. to me, I therefore have revealed to you. There's always this sense of, like, Jesus is the middle link in the chain between the Father and us. And so on the one hand, he is David's son in the sense that he ends up fulfilling Um, you know, all the wisdom, uh, he ends up taking the place of Solomon, receiving the wisdom from David and the kingship and the uh, you know, the throne and all the good things from his own father, David, and ultimately fulfills that prophecy of one who will always be on the throne of his father, David. And yet he's also David's lord in the sense that um, he's the one who first gives the uh, you know, the wisdom from on high. Of course, he is the wisdom from on high, but that's probably more chapter eight. Um, you know, he actually gives the wisdom that David actually can bequeath then to Solomon as well. And that's sort of where we step in. We, you know, Jesus gets to be Solomon, and then we get to be Solomon, the one who receives the wisdom from his father, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. And when you, as you were talking, those passages, I think it, it tends to be from John's gospel where he talks like that, where whatever right. he has heard from the father, then he speaks to his disciples. Uh, uh, that, that's exactly where my mind went to. And I think that is a, a good way of, of sort of connecting some of these dots. It gets a little bit tough to talk about at times, but I think that's that's a very helpful way of, of thinking about it and, and connecting this text to Christ. So one other thing that, that I, I do want to talk a little bit more about is the role of David in this. And, and so you, you get in verses two and, and I guess it's verse three, really, where Solomon says, when I was a son with my father, and he brings up his, his, you know, you talked about the intimacy of that relationship. Then it says in verse four, he taught me and said to me that, that what Solomon is preaching in the book of Proverbs includes things that he has heard from his own father, which to me, it just was something that I really had never thought about was David's role in this. When I think about Solomon and his wisdom, it's in 1 Kings chapter 3, where Solomon prays, and instead of asking for long life or riches or, or power and those sorts of things, he asks for wisdom. And the Lord, of course, grants his prayer. And then right after that, you get this account of that of how that wisdom played itself out. And of course, we know that his wisdom grew. But I, I just I never really thought about the role that David would have played beforehand in being a faithful father to his son Solomon to give the wisdom of the Lord to Solomon, even before Solomon ever prayed for it, even before Uh Solomon ever uh, became king. It's just, I mean, I guess I never really thought about it, that the Lord in answering this prayer of Solomon's was working through the means that he had already set in place through David to be the one passing down the word of God to his own father, and now Solomon is doing the same thing here to his own sons. And again, as you said, that's that's obviously broader than his biological sons. But it's just, it's it's really encouraging to see well, I, I, how the Lord I'd like does to pu- that. Go ahead. I'd like to push that,
1: maybe even a little bit further, and I would actually argue that in that way, that he sort of um, loosely prefigures the church. Mm. Here, And here's what I mean. Um, it made me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, Paul has this. Now, from what my understanding of this, when he, Paul says this, um, he's kind of talking very rabbinically, the way that the rab- rabbis would have. Um, but he, when he's talking about the words of institution, as he's instructing the Corinthians, he says, um, uh, "Where? which verse is it in? Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That And then he goes on and quotes the words of institution. That's such an important phrase because I think in that little phrase, it sort of encapsulates exactly what the role of the church always is. It's not, you know, our role as the church is to be the the faithful transmitter of what the Lord first handed to the apostles, right? This is why we call, you know— it, it apostolic preaching. It's not because it came, you know, it's not because like St. Peter showed up at our church one day, but it's that we're, we're giving exactly the same thing and teaching exactly the same things that Jesus first taught the apostles. And we recognize, once again, we are only links in a chain. And so when Paul says that, even Paul himself, I mean, you know, he, who himself is an apostle, he doesn't appeal to his authority. He appeals to the Lord's authority. He says, listen, I just got this from Jesus, and I'm just passing it along to you. I'm just the middleman, right? And that's what the church always is. The, the church is always acting best when, when they are just faithful middlemen, uh, taking what Jesus has already given to the generation previous and passing it along to the next generation as well. You know, our job is not to be, you know, theological innovators. We're not supposed to. I mean, now, don't get me wrong. There is a place for doing theology, you know, as it is thoughtfully and creatively um, intersected with, you know, every new age. Um, but still, at, when push comes to shove, it's not our job to invent new stuff. And I think likewise, I kind of see David's relationship to Solomon as being very, very similar, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Solomon acknowledges that that, uh, you know, his wisdom is simply the wisdom that he got from his father. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's a, you know, to borrow a secular uh, phrase, what was that? It wasn't an Einstein talk talks about uh, standing on the shoulders of giants. Right. This is this is our life in the church. And so, I mean, in that way, I think we see a paradigm, you might say, that this passage in in Proverbs provides us with a little bit of a paradigm of what it looks like to receive wisdom in the church. It's not a bunch of smart guys thinking up new stuff. It's simply passing along what uh, Jesus has already revealed to his people.
0: Yeah. And no, I, th- I think you're right to connect this to the church. I had, as I was reading through this earlier today, I-, I wrote down the phrase, I need a father to teach me. Solomon needed his father to teach him. Now Solomon teaches as a father to his children and his children will teach as fathers as well. And so, I'm, I mean, it, it does, all of this does point, as we've said, to the Certainly, the very and we're talking. I'm talking biologically here now that a father should teach his sons the Christian faith, but it does go right. beyond that. That this happens within the Christian church as well. I mean, and I think you know we we could say this is why in throughout history those who have served in the office of pastor have been called father, and rightly so. This is mm-hmm. part of their role is passing down the wisdom that they had received first, and so I mean it. It does. It goes, you need to be in both positions. You need at least, yeah, the the person, Solomon here stands in both positions. He stands as one who, as a son received, and then as a father passed on what he received. And to see that dual, that's something I don't think we've seen so much in the book of Proverbs until you get to this text. And it is, it's a very important thing to see as you were connecting it to our life in the church. What does it mean to act as the church now? It means to receive that word of God to hear the instruction, and then to pass it on faithfully.
1: And I'm so glad that you also connected it, though, even within the father, within the family unit, because I don't see those as—and I'm not suggesting that you are either. I think you'd be on the same page with me about this—that these are not two different alternatives, but I would argue that they're really one and the same. Um, I think there's a little— I'm sure most of your listeners are uh are familiar with this but in the small catechism um you know there's that superscription that that I feel like I didn't notice until I actually became a pastor it says um as it go for the way the head of the household should teach uh you know the faith to his children in a simple way or something along those lines you know what I'm talking about right right and um in in a way we we recognize that it's You know, there's no real dichotomy between, you know, church and home. Um, but what is, you know, what is the, the the father who's teaching his children around the dinner table, that is still likewise the church, just as much as him being at the Lord's table. It's not the same thing, but it's still you know, he it's not like they have somehow ceased to, to be the church when all of a sudden, oh, well, well now we're at home and now we're not at church. Well, you, you might not be at the sanctuary, but you still are the church. And so the church continues on as you gather around the table and uh, you know, and as you continue to teach and do the very thing what the church has done. And so, so I mean, I think putting it in a slightly different way, um, the church looks like the family and the family looks like the church mm-hmm. in the sense that you're always – Father passes it down to son, and then the son becomes the father who passes it down to his son, and so on and so forth. But that's also exactly the way it look, works in the broader corporate church, you might say.
0: Right. There should not be a disconnect between right. those two things. Though, and and that's when the church works the best is when there's not a disconnect between those two things. When when the father who has heard at church, the Word of God passes it on to his family at home as well, and those two things work side by side. I mean, just just anecdotally, I mean, you you know, when, when you see those families that are sitting there together in the church, in Bible class, they're learning the same things, and then they take it home, and they, they act as fathers and children in home as well. I mean, that's... That's where it it just is so beautiful when it happens. It really is a wonderful thing that the Lord gives us, where there's no disconnect between those two things. Now, of course, in this life, sometimes there is a disconnect, and and there right. are there are fathers who who don't teach the faith at home. That's why the Lord in the Church does provide for, for other fathers. I mean, that's the role of the pastor, that's for other faithful Christians to speak that Word of God when when somewhere along the line the the links have been broken or they're not matching up as as it would in, in the ideal. That's where the Lord does, through the Church, provide for that, that faithful teaching to continue when we're not doing it in that, that ideal where there's a, a disconnect.
1: Right, right. Yeah, the, it's a blessed redundancy in all of that.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Johnson, I think we're going to go ahead and take our break. We're, we're we're wrapping this up here on, on the matter of fathers and sons, and I don't want to jump into anything new on this side of the break. So we'll go ahead and take that. Now you're listening to sharper iron here on KFU. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 31st. We're studying Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. We've got Pastor Jeremiah Johnson with us. He serves at Glory of Christ Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Minnesota. Pastor Johnson, prior to the break, we were looking at that opening of these Nine verses here in chapter four, where Solomon stands both as a son in relationship to his father David, having received this wisdom, and now he's passing it on to his sons. And it's there in the middle of verse 4, where at least in the ESV, it reads it as a quote, as if Solomon is quoting verbatim from what he had heard his father David say. Whether or not that's exactly the sense, I, I think it's it's a faithful thought that now Solomon's going to pass on this wisdom. So it starts, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. That's how this quote starts from David. So hold fast and keep these are common words in the proverbs and also in the scriptures what do we need to to see and pay attention to here
1: right especially the uh the keeping um it's it's such a a rich word because it often gets used um you know in in different ways um and so uh let's see here oh i'm actually i'm looking at the wrong verse here might help if i'm looking at the right one uh so let, let's kind of think about that a little bit because oftentimes I think we automatically assume that keep just means obey, obey my mm-hmm. commandments. And it's not that that's entirely wrong, but it's it's like it's like looking at only one side of a Rubik's cube. I mean, you're missing all the rest of it. And uh, and so this word can mean a lot of different things. One of the To keep, I mean, even in English can mean more than just obey. It can mean to uh, to care for or to look after, like it does in, for example, uh, Genesis 2. You know, it it specifically says Adam keeps the garden. That means he tends it and takes care of it. And in kind of a similar way, um, or at least in a sense of having responsibility, um, uh, Cain actually asks, he says am i my brother's keeper it's just the the noun form of the, of the, that same verb and um and so sometimes people keep things but sometimes god keeps things as well you know you probably know the famous passage from psalm 121 you know he will not let your foot be moved that's god won't let your foot be moved and he who keeps you will not slumber. And so there's this, there's this tremendous sense of, um, you know, guarding and protection, you know, kind of along with it. And, um, you know, so to keep his commandments, I think we have to understand this in a little bit more of a rounded out way. Um, there's also, there's faithfulness, uh, as well. Deuteronomy seven verse nine, uh, talks about, you know, those who, uh, you know, God loves those who, uh, who love him and keep his, his commandments to a thousand generations, of course, reminds you of the close of the commandments, right. Um, mm. you know, for a thousand generations of those who love me. And, um, and for that it's, you know, the Lord is connecting his own faithfulness to, uh, you know, to the, uh, you know, the, the keeping of the commandments, but there's also a sense of protection in it as well. Uh, so Joshua six, um, talks about um you know the all the things that God had devoted to destruction from Jericho, right? When they they defeat Jericho, they're supposed to devote destru- destroy destroy a, a bunch of things. And he says, but you keep for yourselves, um, or keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. In other words, in other words, preserve yourself, guard yourself, keep away from them. And so keeping can be a good, you know, can be something which is protective or something which is caring after. Um, but here's one of the things that I noticed in, in looking I at, mean, because this word happens like a million times in the Old Testament. But, but more often than not, keeping is not used with frivolous things. Like, you know, you don't worry about like keeping your, you know, your parking stub or something like that. Um, it's things that are really important and things that are really weighty. And so when the, when um, uh, either David or, or Solomon here says, you know keep my commandments and live it automatically gives us a sense of an impression of these are really really important these are not just things to be thrown about lightly hey don't just remember to uh, to go do this or uh you know make sure you uh you know make sure you I don't know shut off the water before you leave these are these are life changing and so uh in fact oftentimes they are matters between life and death which i think the rest of this whole section is going to uh is going to reinforce that these are not light matters at all.
0: Right. Yeah these these are very weighty things as you were talking about the word keep. I think I mean I, I know you, and you it sounds like you were doing most of your work there with the Old Testament, but I think in right. the New Testament it works very similarly. Particularly yeah. again in John's gospel, Jesus will talk to his disciples. I think it's in the upper room discourse there in chapters 13, 14, 15. 16, he talks about the keeping of his commandments. And and there it is a, a broader idea than just doing them. Certainly the doing of the commandments, the obeying of the commandments is part of it, but it is a bigger thing than that. It is a, a holding on to. And certainly, if there's anything that has life and death implications, it is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this, yeah, this this keeping, this holding on to is Well, I mean, it is a matter of life and death. That's what Solomon says. Keep my commandments and life live. And and I, I do think we should understand that keeping is, is broader than obey. We probably should understand commandments also a bit broader. We've talked about this sometimes. Oh, absolutely. It's not just, and I know that the word commandments there is not the Hebrew word Torah, but we have looked at that word previously, that Torah sometimes is translated as law, but we really should understand that more broadly. Here with, with commandments, and I think if you just look at the various things that Solomon uses in parallel here, you know, he talks about wisdom and insight, and and those types of words in the same way that he talks about commandments that when we're talking about keeping commandments it's broader than obeying what god says to do but it has more to do with valuing holding on to cherishing the things that god says overall
1: right you know i mean a couple you know an analogy or two may be, uh maybe really helpful um you know i'm let's say like i had a my uh, my great uncle who was uh who was uh, one of my dearest relatives, um, you know, shortly before he died, he, he didn't have a lot of possessions to it. But he, one of the things he told he gave to me to keep was his old slide rule. He was a um, uh, he was a biochemist and just a brilliant, brilliant man. And, um, you know, it, like I have no real use for for a slide rule, but it, it but it reminds me of him. It's something actually which is which is treasured to me because it's because it was his because it was his. And so I keep that. Maybe that's not the best analogy in the end. But if you can imagine somebody on their deathbed saying, keep this for me, right? Um, you know, whether it's somebody's house or maybe their dog or, or something that was truly valuable to them automatically becomes valuable to you. I mean, you would say, well, of course I'll keep it. Of course I'll treasure it. You know? Um, because if you really love that person, it's kind of a, like, you know, it's, it's a no brainer, uh, you know, it's not merely a matter of, well, I guess if I have to, because Grandma, I love you. I mean, no, nobody talks that way. It's, mm. you know, you you are anxious and glad to hold that thing dear to your heart. Um, and if there's obedience involved in it, well, sure, that's kind of part of the package deal. But it's so much
0: more than that. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm back up in verse 2, and I know this is where, where, where Solomon is telling his sons, I give you good precepts. These are good things right. that are being given. These are not evil things. And we, we should always remember that, that God's commandments, his word as a totality, is not given as something that is evil or bad, but this is good. Why wouldn't we hold on right. to it?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, because that, re- that triggered in my mind a, a thought I had uh, earlier when I was preparing this. It sounds an awful lot like Jesus when he's talking to the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. He says... Uh, he says, "Hey, your dads know. Like, even your worst dads know how to give you good gifts, right? Yeah. You know, nobody asks for an egg and gets a scorpion, or what is it? asks for a loaf of bread and gets uh, gets a rock, or however that goes." Um, he says, "And if your if your dads, even though they're you know they're evil, <laughs> even if they if they know how to good, give good gifts, how much more then does the heavenly Father know? And just like you said, you know, He's giving good stuff. So how much more we have every reason to treasure it? And this probably goes back to." to my very introductory comment about the dilemma that this all poses um that when when the lord gives us i mean yes we should we should actually you know do the law but we know that we're not going to do it perfectly but there's this there's this dimension of it that um the father wants what's best for us and um we should recognize even though we do not fulfill the law completely this is how we should re you know how we always ought to be looking at the commandments. It's like, uh, the father actually wants what's good and that's what he commands. He never commands anything that's going to be hurtful to us or, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, Hey, I'm really, you know, I'm really hoping to make, uh, you know, pastor Tim's uh, life miserable here. So let me give him a commandment that's going to, uh, you know, that's going to be a real drag. I mean, it may seem to us at times, but it's only because, we're not the father and frankly, we're pretty corrupt people. Mm. But, uh, but in the end, you know, uh, what God ordains is always good.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Let's, I want to, Oh, we could keep talking on that topic, Pastor Johnson, but I I know there's some other things I want to look at in this text. One of the, one of the things that stands out verse five, one of the commands Solomon says, do not, forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth, particularly that matter of do not forget this, this verb of forgetting. And then the opposite of forgetting, of course, remembering these are key terms in the old Testament, both of God and of people take us into that study.
1: Right. So let me start with the summary part. That's where I should have started to begin with. Um, Well, let's start with the conclusion. He's talking about wisdom the same way that the that the the whole old Testament in fact the whole Bible talks about the word of God in general mm. um and so when it comes to forgetting and remembering um when at least when God is doing the 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 remembering and the forgetting for that matter stuff happens if I can just say it real broadly you know so um great example Exodus chapter 3 and six is my favorite in fact I may have even used this on a previous show but sorry i only got so much material um so here's Moses he, he you know comes to the burning bush and you know he's talking to god and god says you know i have remembered my covenant i've seen i've seen the uh the persecution of the israelites and i've remembered my covenant with them which makes him immediately talk about what he's going to do it's not like oh yeah i remember talking about that one time that was really nice no it, he actually takes action because of his own remembrance. Um, or on the flip side, when he says, you know, I will forget, or I will remember things no more. You, of course, we all know that, that famous, uh, passage, uh, from what is it? be uh, Jeremiah 31, mm-hmm. um, that I will, uh, I will, will, I will forgive their sins and I will, uh, and I will remember them no more. I will forgive their transgressions and I will remember their sins no more. I don't have it right in front of me, but, Um, but to not remember our sins is, is the, um, the equivalent of actually being forgiven. And so now, now we do need to acknowledge that, um, this is not, um, this is actually, we're being told to do these things. We're being told, don't forget. Right. And, uh, we are being told, um, you know, not to, uh, you know, to remember, we're told to remember and not to forget. Um, and so that's, that's us, but there's other plenty, plenty of other places where the Lord says, well, yes, I, I remember these things, but so you should too. So in other words, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, we're the ones who make it, um, how do I put this? It's not like God is just giving us a hoop to jump through, but that, um, that when we remember uh, these things, it always has an effect upon us. That uh, that the worst thing in the world would be to forget the Lord, um, which is in, in essence really what the first commandment's all about. You know, to uh, to have no other gods um, really means to remember who the Lord is. And uh, likewise, to actually worship idols is to forget who the Lord is. Now, I remember one of the prophets actually makes this connection. I can't remember that right offhand, um, but uh, but the point in all this is the uh, the Lord um, the Lord often says, "Don't forget." you know such and such what i say to you like of uh, psalm 119's classic it uses these these phrases of remembering and not forgetting over and over and over again in psalm 119 which of course you probably remember is that you know that uh f- uh, flagship psalm about the word of god um and so here we have Almost, we have the same terms being applied to wisdom, and so I think what it really does is it invites us to acknowledge that that the wisdom Solomon is talking about is none other than divine wisdom. That is the divine word, hmm. and so uh that's what I think it's leading us to. Hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. The other, I mean, uh, when you're talking about remembering and forgetting, think about and and the way that this is more than just a cognitive recall think about I mean we we say this as lutherans i think a lot or at least i think i do remember your baptism well that that's right. not just don't don't just Think in your, you know, picture in your mind the day when your head got wet or something like that, but it actually leads to a particular way of life. And I think, think of the way Luther speaks in the fourth part of baptism on the catechism, that it is a daily drowning of the old man, contrition and repentance and rising to the new life that God has given you in Christ. So this, this remembrance or, or not forgetting actually is a, has to do with, with action. It's more than just cognitive recall, but it actually does something in your life similarly to the way you're talking about with God's remembrance this is him acting it's not just a cognitive recall same for us don't forget remember it it makes a difference in in the way that you live and that i mean you know i think remembering your baptism is just a, a good example to keep in mind because that remembrance of baptism when i when i say that it makes a difference in the way you live it's not only about your deeds your your performance but it is about your faith you know i mean remembering your right. baptism has to do with trusting first and foremost and then also about the the living out of that in love
1: like you know what really ties all that really nicely together i could have mentioned earlier is Jesus' own statement in the um uh, at the very end of matthew right uh, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name yeah. of the father son holy spirit teaching them to keep mm-hmm. everything that i've commanded you i mean if you uh the the New Testament equivalent of that old testament word for keep is right there. And so Jesus doesn't just mean um he's not just saying like, oh, and uh and don't forget to obey everything I said to you. Like, no, no, treasure the whole lot, you know, like don't drop any of his words. Um, you wanna you wanna hold on to it and uh you know for dear life because that's what it is. I mean, it's what it's what keeps you alive. And so so you notice there in the Great Commission we have baptism, right? We have um, baptism and the keeping of what Jesus has told us, some of which about is baptism, right? So to keep what Jesus says to hold fast to it um, is also hold fast to the very baptism which you've already received, Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Johnson, we've got about 10 minutes left here and I want to make sure there's a couple of verses. I definitely want to make sure we talk to one is, is verse seven. And, right. and it, it stands out My to Achilles me. My Achilles heel. That's well, that's right. That's right. No, not because it's right. your we'll get- Achilles heel.
1: <laughs> that's that's okay. It is it is very important. Well, uh, but this so, is definitely the one I was talking about earlier when I said I'm not sure what it means.
0: Well, let's let's see what we can do with it because I think it. I mean, it stands out for a couple of reasons. One, the beginning of a wisdom recalls Proverbs one verse seven, where he says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of." I think it's knowledge that he uses there, so right. it's not quite the same same terminology, but very similarly. You know, the fear of the Lord, the beginning. Here you have the beginning of wisdom, and what does he say here? Is this get wisdom? So the beginning of wisdom is to get more wisdom. It's it's just a it's an interesting turn of phrase. There's some recollection of other things that have been said already in Proverbs, and let's let's try to figure it out as best we can.
1: Right. Um, so get wisdom seems like redundant right i mean wait, yeah. wait a minute the beginning the beginning wisdom is this get get wisdom i think there might be a couple of implications and so let's throw as many of these against the wall and see which ones stick um so the putting what you said maybe a little bit differently the wisest thing that you can do is to seek wisdom perhaps does that imply though that we would um, that we already notice that we are deficient in it. I mean, Mm. in other words, this is the beginning of wisdom, is to recognize that you actually need wisdom, right? I mean, so putting it a little bit differently, which is, I think, remarkably similar um, to... to in some ways what Jesus says in the beatitudes. Yes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are, are you well,
0: following me on this? Uh, yes, and even and, and my my mind went to the beatitudes also, but but to verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right. For they shall be, so the the most righteous thing you can do is to realize you don't have it and you need to be <laughs> given to given it. I think is that I mean that sounds like what yeah, I think that's, that's what you're that's saying. That's
1: exactly where I'm going. That's exactly where I'm going because if you you notice all the people who Jesus gives a real hard time to are the you know the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who think that they've got their whole religious life all wrapped up already. They've got everything figured out. They've got you know they've crossed their T's, they're dotted their I's. They know exactly where they stand with God, or at least that's what they think. But the people who are blessed are the ones who basically say, "I got nothing," yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the ones who acknowledge their their lowliness, their nothingness, the ones who acknowledge their poverty of spirit. Um, And so, which as a reminder to everybody is not, doesn't has, does not necessarily have anything to do with your bank account. It has everything to do with recognizing you don't squat when it comes before God. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And so it seems remarkably similar that Jesus blesses those who basically say, I got nothing. (laughs) And it seems very parallel here to say, well, here's the beginning of wisdom is to recognize that you don't have any, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and in that way, it seems so characteristic of what um, the the Spirit will work on us as the Spirit works repentance. I mean, because in in a way, this isn't this exactly what repentance generates in us. Um, repentance is uh, you know creates in us a recognition that. Um, you know that we don't have a like to stand on that we're the uh, we're the tax collector's beating his breast. You know, there in the background saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." Um, I mean, I I almost might want to say this. Is probably getting a little far, but I almost think that verse seven really points to what mercy is. The beginning of wisdom is this. You know, you got to find a way to get what you don't have, and the only way to do that is by pleading with the one who has it. That's the Lord. So I don't I don't know if that makes sense, but I think it's like yeah.
0: No, I, I think I think it does. I mean and, and my I do, I have written down here the Beatitudes, like like you were saying, this idea of, of Re- the beginning of wisdom is recognizing that you don't have any, and that you need to receive it from the outside. Which I do think connects back to Proverbs one verse seven, that the beginning of knowledge there is the fear of the Lord. I mean that, and and all of this. I don't know if we've said this explicitly this time around. I know we have previously on on these episodes with Proverbs that wisdom, as we're talking about it here, is not just some sort of practical pithy advice, but right. it but it really has to do with. What do you What do you receive from the Lord? And, I mean, we've been talking about the Word of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord all along. That this wisdom, the beginning of it, is the fear of the Lord, which is a recognition that He has everything, I have nothing. I must receive it from Him. And I do think those those things go together. I mean, and and so yeah, the the wisest thing that I can do is to seek after that wisdom above above everything else. That the most important thing that that God can give me is the gift of the the wisdom that is there in his word which again is is more than his commandments in a way of life but it is the the mercy the grace that he extends to me in his son Jesus Christ. And so I mean I really th- you know I don't know maybe this is going but this this verse really there's there's a lot of gospel I think in this verse verse 7.
1: There really is. And I think you already started to touch on I think, another dimension of this as well in terms of the the value of it. And so it, oh, it goes on to say, whatever you get, get insight. And, and once again, I'm, I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, um, but I wonder if this couldn't read something like, whatever it costs you, get insight. Now, of course, insight and wisdom here are being used in parallel, so they're essentially interchangeable, at least in this verse. And Boy, I mean, doesn't that though remind you of like a million things in the New Testament? Um, You know, it reminds me of you know the parable of the treasure in the field, where the man like you know uh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A uh, you know man finds a treasure and you know he sells everything that he has. Now, of course, the the jury's out on. I know there's a lot of folks who (laughs) um, is is this Jesus or is this the individual believer? Here's the thing. Either way, though, either way, whether it is um, you know us. You know, selling all that we have for the sake of the gospel, or whether it's Jesus selling all that he has uh, for the sake of us, it kind of works either way in that case. Or maybe some other more clear examples – this great passage from Paul in Philippians 3 when he says, I count everything as loss, garbage, right? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He says, Listen, you know, I could, I, um, he also says in Ephesians, right? I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a true Jew, you know, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, I got all these things going for me, but it's nothing. It's nothing in comparison to this because, um, the only thing that is truly worthwhile is knowing Christ Jesus my lord or mm. Mary and Martha right you know Mary's the one who sits down at Jesus feet and actually does the one thing needful th- that's to to actually hear his word and embrace the wisdom from on high himself mm. and so i'm sure there's other passages we could quote too but um uh well maybe one last one um Matthew chapter 10 comes to mind where Jesus you know, talks about the uh, essentially the cost of being a disciple yeah. And he says, um, he says listen, I, I haven't come to bring peace but a, a, but a sword. And he, and he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If whoever wants to save his life will lose it. whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, this it sounds like a real downer except for the fact that if Jesus means everything and is everything, like what have you lost if you've taken up your cross and followed him? Nothing. Mm-hmm that sounds an awful lot like wisdom here get wisdom and whatever you get get insight because nothing could possibly be more important and without it you got nothing
0: yeah and i mean to if when you keep going in that philippians 3 passage that you you mentioned you know the to gain Christ for Paul is to have, as we've been saying, not a righteousness that comes from our works, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And and all of this for Paul is so that he may attain the resurrection from the dead, which is, is right. the only way that anything that Jesus says in Matthew 10 makes sense, is if he knows he's going to raise you from the dead. And, and that's why you can forsake everything else in this life, because he's going to give you absolutely everything in the resurrection. Pastor Johnson, we got like a minute left here, and I know there was topics that we didn't really get to talk to. But with this Perfect. this last minute, just summarize for us, and, and again, use this text to point us to Christ.
1: Okay. I'm actually, I'm not going to summarize. I'm going to keep on going with That's these last fine. two verses because you just, you laid it out perfectly. Um, you know, Solomon says that, you know, you'll get exalted or a, a wisdom will exalt you. You'll get a crown. You'll get a garland. There's all these kind of victorious imagery, which reminds us of all the places where you know, Christ talks about us, ourselves, receiving, a, you know, a crown of life, being reigning along with him. And there's a lot to be said about that. But here's the point, is that this is all, in many ways, very future-oriented kinds of promises. And that uh, just as um, wisdom, you know, Christ himself, picking up your cross and following him, you know, giving a uh, you know, uh, forsaking all for the for his sake is not necessarily going to win you, uh, you know, friends and influence people and get you a Rolls Royce here in this age. Ultimately, the uh, the payoff is in the age to come, and so so too with wisdom. Wisdom will ultimately um, bear its full fruits only in the resurrection and the life everlasting, because Jesus is that wisdom from God. So.
0: Pastor Jeremiah Johnson is the pastor at Glory of Christ Lutheran Church in Plymouth, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Pastor Johnson, thanks for being our guest today. Well, thank you. I'm your host here on Sharp Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.